Yes. We're good. Okay. Ooh, legs up. All right. Come on. Who else has had an ACL surgery in their life? Come on. Wow. Come on. Yeah. It's a great club to be a part of. Am I right? That's. How many has had their ACL done twice? Just me. How many got two surgeries on their second replacement? Well, oh yeah, yeah. But I was the only one anyway, so. I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hyping you up. Anyway, just a little background there. People look at me and they say, what happened? I'm like, no, 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 this was the plan. This was the plan, so. Um, well, literally, worship this morning could not have better set up this message for today. Mm-hmm. Could not have set it up better. Um, we're going to be talking about the Hilltop family value of wholeheartedness today. So, mm. you know, we were thinking it can be kind of a hefty topic. And we were like, Will and I, as most of you know, we're pretty straight shooters. We get to the point passionately quickly. And we were like, oh, we need to like warm people up to it, you know, because <laughs> not everyone moves at our speed, you know, but, um, but worship set us up beautifully. God, God seems to know what he's doing, you know, yes. so, <laughs> but we did have a funny little anecdote that we wanted to start off with. So, Will, what do you, what do you want to share with people who don't this know you? This is our attempt at a transition into yeah. a message. Um, it's basically, you know, wholeheartedness, coffee. This is, I'm crazy about coffee. Anybody else love coffee? Also a good setup because we're about I to have coffee on I didn't Sundays. Know, oh, yeah. Hey, praise the Lord. If, if we have enough people help us out to make this happen, we're going to have coffee again. I'm so excited about that. Oh, my goodness. And it, yeah, anyway. So I didn't know I was a coffee snob. Um, and then I slowly sort of became one. And I just sort of have become that guy who, like, Everywhere I go, I'm like, no, I got to pull a shot of espresso. So I don't know what's wrong with me. It's sort of, this is why I can't drink. I'm like all or nothing. Like it's zero to a hundred, like instantly. I have no in-between, it seems. And so, yeah, coffee. I love coffee. I don't know where we were going with that anecdote. I think that's the well, anecdote. Well, I mean, if anyone's ever been over to our place, we, you know we have a fancy-looking espresso machine. So it's a value of ours to have, if we value coffee, we have a good espresso machine to accompany it. And Come on over. This just so happened, but even on our honeymoon, we went to Kauai, one of the islands in Hawaii, and um, it just so happened across from our resort, there happened to be a Starbucks, which, I mean... You know, even now you say Starbucks is not quite to your standard. But for him, I grew up in New Jersey, the land of diner coffee, and She'll I drink can, anything. Can I just say this? The you land could, of she could have gotten diner coffee the day before oh. and could have sat out, and she'll drink it the next day. I'll, like she no, literally no, 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 will no, no, drink no, no. anything. No, no, no. I'll eat it within the the, the daylight. I will not within go in, the same within day? the daylight unless I put it in the fridge. Then maybe I'll have it the next day. So, but um, but we're we're a little different here. Where the but for Will, he is he puts his money into his coffee. He puts his time into his coffee. He puts his effort into his coffee. Actually, I save money. I just gotta say, but like five compared years compared to the Starbucks habit that some folks have and that I used to have. That's true. It's actually quite economical. Right. When you make your own coffee. Right. So. The point of the story. It's not a great story. I, we apologize. I think it works. Okay. But the point of the story is, what are you obsessed with? See how that landed? Do you see how smoothly we just, it seemed like we were just coming in for a really shaky landing and then just smooth piloting. That was nice. And if you've been with us at any, for any period of time, you, you know that we, we talk about just whether your affections are upon God or not, 
Just know that it is upon something. So you might say, I am not as big of a personality as Amy and Will, which most people can probably say. But I promise you, even if you're a quieter personality, you will still have those things that you put your effort and your finances and your attention to. So intentionality or lack thereof, there will be something that you are obsessed with that you put all those efforts and resources into. So just that moment of reflection. It's like we talk about in our small group. There are the, you know, the the Sunday school answers of Jesus. The answer is Jesus. But what... But truly, self-reflectively, letting the Holy Spirit search your hearts. What, what is it right now? Maybe it was something else in 2019. What is it in March of 2022? And there could be a few things, but what are you obsessed with? What are you fixated on? What, whether you like it or not, what are your current choices leading you toward five years from now? And compare it to maybe the past. That's the, that's the scary thing about being a Christian is just because, and I know we have a variety of people in this room, I'm sure. There's people who've been walking with God for a while. There's people who um, are still figuring out whether or not they want to follow Jesus or do a different faith, um, um, follow a different religion. But there, just because you do it once doesn't mean you get this free card. Wholeheartedness requires this lifelong recommitment, yeah. re-signing up, reassessment mm-hmm. kind of moments. So that's, that's what we want to start with. So for those of us who weren't with us over the past couple of weeks, we took a break last week having a wonderful message by Mumdua about how to, hear, so how to hear the voice of God. It talks about the mind, talks about the heart. If you miss that, and if you're someone who doesn't know how to hear the voice of God, it's a phenomenal message that will really touch you. But the previous weeks, pastors Daryl and Bethany talked about the Hilltop family values of presence of God, prayer, people. We were on a P theme, and then we went to wholeheartedness. But these are, these are things that we value, and wholeheartedness is one of those things. So here's the setup. Why? Why wholeheartedness? We worshiped it. He is worthy. That's one. Why? He is worthy. He, it, the thing about God, the thing about Jesus, there is no middle ground. It's either you accept him or you reject him. So either you pursue him wholeheartedly or it's not, a, well, almost wholeheartedly. It's, it's either an accept or a reject. Now hear me, you can also wholeheartedly pursue the answer to faith. Like we have some wonderful people in our alpha group that like truly and sincerely want to know, like they, they have questions. They wanna know what God has to say about things. We can bring God with our doubts and our questions and our wrestlings. It's not that we have to have it all perfect. And that's what we're gonna talk about. It's about the heart. It's not about the outside. Mm. So in your wrestling, you can be wholehearted. Yeah, in your pursuit of God, when you know it's true, the wholeheartedness is going to look different. When you've already intellectually and spiritually decided, yes, this is real, then you have a big decision to make. Are you going to like create your life around that belief? But I just want to reassure you, it's not disingenuous if you're questioning faith. It's actually how God is going to get you to that full wholehearted pursuit when you turn it over and look from every side and find out whether or not God is who he claims to be. So just know wherever you are in your faith journey, you can leave here today with the commitment that I am going to walk wholeheartedly. You don't have to be currently doing that in a full place of of knowing. So just to encourage you. So one, why wholeheartedness? God is worthy. And we'll get to this in a second. He commands wholeheartedness. So we'll get to that. But Will had a third reason. Um, And the third reason is it's who God is. 
God is not boring. God is not dispassionate. He's not bland. He's not disinterested. He's not half-hearted. God is fiery. He's an all-consuming fire. That's what scripture says. He is fully passionate about your heart. He's fully jealous for your heart because he created you. He wants a relationship with you that goes way, way, way past the surface level. And can you imagine somebody being so radically in love with you, who created you, that you would respond dispassionately towards? That is the greatest injustice of all. It's for the human heart to respond to a loving creator who created us for relationship and is passionate and loves you beyond anything you can imagine. And that we would respond half-heartedly. That we would become somehow not interested. It's unimaginable. It's totally unimaginable. So it's who God is. He is all-consuming. He's jealous for full affection. And to get around him is to become wholehearted. So it's not about muscling. And this is where we get it so backwards. We're so about externals, right? And we want to prove a lot of things. But Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees had it wrong. And they had it just all the externals tightened up and tuned up. And their hearts were not after God. And on the contrary, you can actually have a life that looks like shambles. And if your heart is looking for God, is desperate for God, is hungry for God, then you're not dispassionate. You're not half-hearted. You are wholehearted. You're looking for God. Because he doesn't care about the externals anywhere as much as he cares about what's going on in your heart. So that's what he's after. And for some people who might be newer to faith, the Bible talks constantly about relationship with God like being like a marriage. And... I know our culture is pretty twisted today, but I don't know about you guys, but I don't want Will to be half-hearted toward me. I don't want him to, I only want a wholehearted pursuit of me. So if you think like, why does God need wholehearted? You can think about it, about like that marriage relationship. When the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were disobedient, it was described as adultery. They were being unfaithful to this covenant, this I will be faithful to you, you be faithful to me. And the beauty that it, of a covenant is that, and it reminds me of our wedding vows, you know, and and the message before our wedding is, I will be faithful even when you are not faithful to me. That's what God says to us. And our job is to recommit to that relationship as quick as we can through repentance and saying, God, I, we're, we're imperfect. We will make mistakes. But as we grow and as we become sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, the goal is this, you know, kind of, eventually going upward in our relationship with God, but we're, we're fixed to that marathon that we would, we would live our last day saying, God, I, I did my best, even though it was imperfect. Um, mm. So, Matthew... You just wrap up now. That was just good. That felt good. Oh, God. I felt that. I'm glad. That's that was, wonderful. Maybe it's because we got onto the marriage thing, but that was good. So, um, the greatest commandment. Let's turn to Matthew 22. Verses starting at verse 34. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT, um, but whatever verse we have up works great too. But when the Pharisees 
who were these Jewish religious leaders, heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. A second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And Jesus here is quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Very big in Jewish teaching. Joe's feeling that. And um, just to read that, it's very similar. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And when they say heart, I think we get what that means. It's a colloquial term that we use as well. But it's, it's the seat of our appetites. It's our emotions, it's our passions. It's what moves you. And it's really interesting looking at Matthew 22. Here it is, these religious leaders, there's, we're actually not gonna bring up the scripture directly, but there is this place where Jesus says to the religious teachers that you're all concerned about the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. So there's, there's this place where in, Probably starting with good intentions, a lot of the Jewish ways of laws were, were trying to put in these guardrails of, I don't want to displease God, so let's come up with a million rules to kind of protect us, which, you know, starting out is, is a good thing, and, and God even laid it out for them. But Jesus is just reminding them, it's actually not about those rules. Those are just an outward form. It's, it's kind of, I mean, God, because he's holy, there, there are these ways, you know, these cleansings that the Jewish people had to go to approach him. But at the end of the day, Jesus is talking to the Jews even before he was crucified on behalf of the world's sins. He said it was about the heart all the time. It was always about the heart. But the beauty is that what the law could not do is that Jesus did. The law just, just showed us, and when you, say, when you say, what's law? The law is telling us this is morally right, this is morally wrong. There's an other types of law within it. But ultimately, it's just making it clear, you know, murder is bad. Do not, you know, know that your cow is a little erratic. You should put a fence around your cow so it doesn't kill the next door neighbor. Whatever, whatever. It's just putting, it's putting through the very practical things of those types of societies. Um, but ultimately, what the law does is it shows that we have great need and that it is impossible for us to do it with human yeah. strength. So the law showed that we have a need for a savior, for Jesus who came perfectly God in the form of 100% human and that he could be that perfect sacrifice on our behalf so that all who say it, it is offensive, all you have to say is I believe. All you have to say is, I believe and I accept this. And then we are allowed to be justified before God, but it's just the beginning of the sanctification process. But even all along, it was all about the heart. It was all about the heart. And we try to make it overly simple, believe it or not, by complicating it, (laughs) by making this this place of, okay, I'm just going to have all these guardrails, but we're complicating something that really should just be about our heart. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that? It's good. I just keep feeling it. It's just, I love it. I'm glad. Preaching. 
this is something that's very interesting. I think that a lot of us look around us in culture, and you know, when you look at what what is passion, what is being a passionate person, and I think a lot of us front um, a lot about being passionate. I think that uh, it's become almost required socially to put on a front of being a passionate person about certain issues, and we like almost being have outspoken. this. We, like speaking we, out. We're, we're culturally more pharisaical than ever because we launch out into diatribes on Twitter and then go back to completely mediocre li- living. Right, right. And, right. We've, and, and we, we are required to do that socially. Otherwise, you're canceled. You are, you're, you're an, at this point, you're an evil person if you don't get on Twitter and get on Facebook and in, get on Instagram and post something really perfect, perfectly worded. To Without voice any context, consent or condemnation for the latest terrible thing that's going on in the world, and so we've become we're quickly more conditioned than ever to be hypocritical people, and we bring that to church, and we come to church, and you know, thank God the charismatic church is the fastest growing church because I think that it's about time that we got our hearts a little more alive. At the same time, there's a lot of regrets about the, the depth of the word that we're leaving behind, so I have a lot of concern about that. But the biggest problem is when we can show up to church and front being passionate about God, God's looking for your heart. And as a worship leader, I do really appreciate that all of us be more (laughs) expressive as something that we hope happens because it can also help lead as part of the journey. But like we're a culture that fronts. We front being passionate. We front being wholehearted. But you know, when you sit down with God and you have a heart to heart with him, that's the real moment. That is the moment where it's, it's just 100% real and raw. And you don't have to front there. You can just be honest and just say, God, this is, who, this is what I've got. This is who I am. I want you. And you don't need to come here and do that. You don't need to do that for somebody else. That is between you and God. And that, there's something that profound that's going to happen when you do that with God. So anyway, Can don't I have front. a quick comment yeah. on that? So some, something that Will and I talk about a fair amount is going back to that expression of worship, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later as well. But I think in addition to what your, your commentary on society, there's, there's another reality, which I think people don't want to be a hypocrite. Does that resonate? Like the kind of that place of like, we've, we've heard of, you know, um, the moral failings of so many people in church leadership, the Catholic church has it as well as all, t- all denominations of church has had these very public moral failings. And you know, what do you, when you reflect upon it, you see someone preaching one message on a Sunday and then you hear this big scandal come up. So I think in smaller and bigger ways, anything in between, there's a place where people probably don't wanna be disingenuous. And I just want to encourage you, as someone who's been through quite the realm of expressive worship, I came from elbows glued to your side, homie. Like, maybe a pastor can raise their hand, but your elbows are down, you know? Like, so I came, and I remember even that, that uh, you know, kind of journey. I remember the first time I was at a church that was more expressive. I was like, uh, was looking at me. Oh, the elbow away from the side. You know, like, it was, it was like it was so it was such a confusing thing but I so there's a few things I know there's like the the church culture what you're used to um but 
there's times too where you don't necessarily, from whatever was your week, maybe, maybe that week you fell back into a sin that you hadn't been in for like a few months or a few years. And you go to church and you see these people raising their hands and you say, can I do that? Mm. Like, are people gonna think I'm a hypocrite because I, I had a, a, what by my standard between my relationship and the Lord, you know, there's like the clear standards and then there's the standards that you know God's holding you to, right? Like the Holy Spirit in you. And, and I don't know, maybe some of you guys think like, it was a bad week. Is it, is it hypocritical for me to raise my hands? And I just wanna encourage you, there is this reality, even more real than what we see with our eyes, that he is worthy. It's not how you feel, it's not what your week was, because when you do that, you're actually making it about you. When you are commenting on, I messed up this week, I can't worship like that, you made it about you. Sunday's no longer about God when you do that. Hear me, even as Katie beautifully led us in communion, there, there are those moments where you need to have those sober moments before the Lord and repent. But when you do that, like if Jesus died for you, like as far as the East is from the oh, West, so on. far he's removed our transgressions from us. Is that true or is it not true? So when you make your reconciliation unto the Lord, you know, then you can very ingenuously, is that a word? Very sincerely. Genuinely? Genuinely, that's the word. You can be very sincere and genuine by even, and, and let me tell you, that's how I shepherd my heart. When I have a tough week, I come to church being like, oh, it's gonna get loud because I gotta steward my soul. And it's not disingenuous. It's taking, it's taking control over your life yeah. and responding to the worthiness of God. Yeah. So, and hear me, like it took me months, if not years to kind of go from to like, oh, we're gonna dance, we're gonna shout. Like everyone has their own journey. Um, I encourage you. I've experienced such breakthrough in dancing before the Lord when I don't feel like it. And it's again, me telling myself that he's worthy, he's worthy. And then all of a sudden you feel an interaction of your spirit with his spirit and you feel like you wanna do it and you look forward to when you can do it. So I am giving y'all permission to get rowdy because he is worthy. Come on, you can give that a hand if you want, come on. That's good, that's good. So I, but we've talked about, I think I even heard someone else comment on that. I don't know if it's millennials or Gen Z or both, but there's a huge value of not being a hypocrite. Well, because we all know what it's like to try to shepherd our hearts. Right. And it's scary. And, right. you know, you've got the externals and interns. Let me just, can I just tell you something that is going to, I think it's going to blow your mind. Yeah. It's, blown, it's blowing my mind because I'm living it. But when you can get faith and this is what wholeheartedness is all about. When you can get faith that God is bigger than your own heart and he's going to transform your heart into what it needs to be and that it's not even about you, that's when your life starts to change. Because you can say to God, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get my heart there. But I have faith, not just for external things, not just for money in my bank, not just for, hopefully Amy's need to fully recover. It looks pretty good, but we know, we just, you know, see it through. The, not just external things that, we're, that we pray for, that we have faith for. It's a lot easier to have faith for someone else to come to salvation. It's, it's a lot harder to believe God 
that he is in fact going to take your heart and he's going to make it passionate. He's, you may not be there today, but he's going to make you into a wholehearted person. He's going to make you into a person who lives pure, who lives on fire for God. You, it's not just about you muscling it. And when you actually start to have faith for your own heart, everything changes. Everything changes. It's not about you proving something. It's not about you trying to rise to some sort of standard. God's in there with you, dude. God's in it with you. He's going to bring your heart to where it needs to be. You know, that faith, I just, I think even that, that story of the woman who had the issue of blood, she was pressing through the crowd, and she couldn't care less about how many laws she was breaking to get to Jesus. And she was breaking a lot of laws, a lot of Jewish laws. Like she wasn't supposed to even be near people, much less touching them. And she certainly wasn't supposed to be touching Jesus. And she she just bolts right past everybody. She presses through everybody, probably crawling under people because it's packed. And she touches the, just the hem of his garment and she's healed. You know, when you have that kind of, when you can actually get that kind of tenacity and that faith in your own life, you think, God, I'm not there. I'm broken, but I got to touch you. I got to be touched by you. That's the kind of faith that's going to see your heart through. That's the kind of faith that's going to make, see you become that person that you're hoping to become in God. I, I personally, like I said, I'm, I'm personally living this. I mean, this is, I, I personally had an experience many, many years ago where I was just so rocked by God. And that love came, just, there was just a love for God that made everything effortless, living for God effortless. And over the years, there have been things that have distracted me and then have gotten my attention and have made it hard. And I'm, I, I say here before you today as somebody who is actively signing back up. I'm not sitting before you as somebody who like, I'm all on fire for God. My, my life is perfect. I'm in the process right now of believing God for another touch, another first love moment. And I'm not ashamed of that. I don't see that as a problem because that's what Jesus is all about. When you're weak, when I'm weak, I know he's going to visit me. The question is, how much do I want it? How much do I want him? And I know that in this season of my life where spending time with God has gotten hard and certain elements of life have gotten hard, he's going to recaptivate my attention. Because, you know, when you see Jesus, when you experience Jesus, you become obsessed. That is just what happens. And I've experienced it over and over in my life. And I'm just believing God for it again. That's the, that's the bottom line. It's the bare facts. And you can too. You can become re-obsessed with Jesus. Maybe you've never been obsessed with Jesus. That's okay. All you need is to see him. All you need is to behold him, and you'll become obsessed with him. I think the example of David in the Bible is, first of all, wild. It's wild, and it should tell us so much about God's value system. Psalm 27. I just want to see if we could turn to Psalm 27.4 here. We're just going to read through, not the whole psalm, but most of it. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above the the enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, verse 8, this is so good. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not turn your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not leave or forsake me, O God of my salvation. Even if my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Down in verse 13, this is so good. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I just read this psalm because it it gives you a picture of the way that God treated his relationship. Uh, David treated his relationship with God. And there's just such a profound faith. You know, do you see that? You kind of hear that in in the way that he writes? There is this faith and this openness, this almost awkward amount of openness in his heart. He just, nothing is taboo with God, with David. Nothing is taboo. And I think that's the mark of someone who's wholehearted. You'll, you'll tell God anything. You don't need to hide anything. Everything is laid, laid bare before him. I think that there's, you know, a lot about his life that's very interesting. And we probably, you know, there's mistakes he made, uh, issues he had that it would probably be wise to avoid. But he was the opposite of the Pharisees. They had everything looking good on that shell, that crusty exterior that was all perfect, and he, <laughs> he was a man after God's own heart, even with all of his issues, because of what was going on in his heart, his bent, his drive towards God, his quickness to repent, his wholeheartedness to say, God, I'm sorry. And uh, I think that's just really interesting. It's kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways to what we think following God should look like. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> for Samuel 16, 7, This is God speaking to the prophet Samuel about who he was looking to anoint as king. And David was the youngest of many brothers. He wasn't even present when Samuel approached to look for the king amongst these brothers. He was out with the sheep. And Samuel, even though he had spent a lot of time with God, he even still had this propensity to look with his eyes. And he saw one of the older brothers who had um, great stature and just looked, I guess, kingly. And the, and the Lord spoke to Samuel, the prophet, and he, he said a few things, but one of them is people judge by outward appearance, mm. but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. And, you know, this was God speaking to Samuel, but whether or not David ever heard that verse that had been spoken over him, and then later he was the one who was chosen. No, 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 no. Yes, that's him. God pointing to David, looking at the heart. I wonder if David ever had that word shared with him later, if his father shared it with him or if Samuel shared it with him. But that, that marked, 
it, it was reflective of him, obviously, it's the prophetic, but it's also, it's something that really marked his life, like Will said, just that wholehearted pursuit of the Lord. And that's a statement that I think should simultaneously comfort us and terrify us, that the Lord looks at the heart. That's comforting because when people misunderstand our intentions or I I take the the childlike call of Jesus for the things of the kingdom of heaven very seriously. You know, even hearing about finances, like start somewhere, like don't give once you feel like you have like a million dollars to give, like you're like a kid gives their $1, you know, like you give what you can, you start somewhere. Um, so, and when God sees our intentions of God, I'm, I'm just trying to start, like, I'm just trying to figure this out. Yeah. Like God looks at the heart and he's so That's touched good. and honored by that. He's touched by you stepping out of your comfort zone and you feeling embarrassed and awkward to raise a hand. Cause you're like that, that is like, why will I do that at a concert? But I won't do that at a worship service. Like, Come why on. would I do that at a football game, but not do that when I'm singing the worthiness of God? You're, mm. when, when we, and again, you're, we, people to your left and your right probably won't notice, but if they did, they'd probably just be like, oh, his hands up. Cool. Like, why aren't both hands up? I'm just kidding. But I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. That's only if you're a worshiper. I'm totally no, kidding. Just kidding. But the beauty of that moment is the Lord is like, wow, that was a sacrifice of praise. Mm. Like that. They humbled themselves to outwardly honor me. Like the Lord is so touched by that. And then simultaneously, when you do great outward works, the Lord knows when it's not with your full heart. That's where we should be terrified. (laughs) I mean, all of us at different points. These are these moments where the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what the book of Proverbs says. So there's this place, fear the Lord, what does that mean? We realize his awesomeness, his ability to send us either to heaven or to hell. He is awesome, he's mighty, and he knows every depth of our heart, which is good and scary. And like Will said, if he knows it, why don't, process, why don't we process it with him? And that's what David and so many other psalmists did so beautifully. They were so honest mm. in their worship and their prayers and their songwriting, since God knows it anyway. Mm. Um, so that's something about David, just that... that wholeheartedness and God God saw him and anointed him, the youngest of all of his brothers. And then I think this is worth turning to very briefly. I'm not going to read it. Second Samuel six, I should say, I'm not gonna read all of it. Um, but if you haven't heard this verse, this is a verse you should know. So, you know, make little notes. If you want to meditate this week, Psalm 27 is a good chapter to meditate on this week. And I would say second Samuel six, if you need some Bible verses, the Lord is speaking. So I gotcha. Gotcha, boo. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so this is a case where the, the back before Jesus died, when Jesus was still in heaven, that's a whole other thing, right? Um, the presence of the Lord was housed within the Ark of the Covenant. He, the, the presence of the Lord was between, I can never say this word, the cherubim. Mm-hmm. Cherubim, okay, I want to say it, wrong emphasis. <laughs> um, so having the Ark near you is important. That means the presence of the Lord is there. And at different points in the warfare with the surrounding nations and peoples, it would be taken from them. And that was a great reason for great grief. Um, And then there was a time, it's a whole story. It's interesting to read through. David's all excited. And then something happens. He gets nervous. And he's like, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? And then he realizes all is well. They can bring the ark back and they're going to have the presence of the Lord in their midst again. Like, 
that is not a small thing. This, these are the people that saw their, their battles were being won when the presence of the Lord was with them and their battles were being lost when he withdrew from them. This was a big deal. So when you look at, uh, da, 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 da. so verse 12 in 2 Samuel 6, then King David was told the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. That's pretty cool. He got to house the, the ark of the Lord for a period like, talk about blessing. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, which was typical for Jewish people. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. David a king wearing a priestly garment, which is kind of like like, let's say long johns, you know, like not something that you wear outwardly. Long underwear, anyone? Long johns, long underwear? Okay, cool. Um, so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. And, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. And then going down, Verse 21, David reported to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me, uh, this is, who chose me above your father and all his family. <laughs> he appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and then this is the, the beautiful one. Verse 22, yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. And I'll, I'll stop there. So there's, there's this, this humbling aspect. There's this place where do you value your pride above the worth of over expressing the worthiness of God? And it's, again, I would say that's an offensive chapter, you know, especially if you haven't heard that before. You're like, really? Why, why is that in the Bible? Um, and I just encourage you, take it to some meditation. It's really a beautiful and really freeing, freeing few verses to look about. Um, and I don't know how we want to kind of go through the final points here. How you want to... Probably quickly. Um, that is but, the word. Uh, that is the word. So we'll make this quick. So get, you know, get your spark notes, you know, journal, whatever out. Wholeheartedness is about affection, attention, and obsession. Affection, all of your affections, all of your attention, and being obsessed. That's what it's about. Sin is secondary. We run from it. We deal with it, but it is not our focus. If Jesus is your obsession, the rest is going to fall into place. That's that point. That was beautiful. See, um, nice and fast. I'm not going to read this just for time, but again, if this is a message that's touching you and you want you know, more verses, Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, talks about a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector, and it talks about humility. This tax collector is, is wrecked. He is so grieved by his sin, and he confesses it to the Lord. And the Lord says, he is justified before me, not this Pharisee who's like, who literally says, thank you, God, that I am not like that man next to me. I've done all these good things. And Jesus says, I tell you today, that man who repented and was grieved by his sin is justified before me. So that 
we have to fight for a tender heart and it does not come naturally in the realm of spiritual warfare. That's a whole other topic we can talk about, but just know there are angels and there are demons and Satan wants to get your soul. So the end of the day, we worship and we set our attentions upon the schemes of Satan. We're not fearful but we're also not ignorant of his schemes. He walks around like a prowling lion. He's looking for his next victim. And presence of God, we've talked about that as a family value, singing worship music in our maybe, you know, not so good um, tones of voice, you know? That is what pushes back darkness. But I tell you, friends, these things will not come passively. Passivity leads to going the, the wide path, the way of the kingdom of darkness. Being yeah. intentional with your worship and your pursuit and your repentance right. leads you to this, this, this beautiful path of, of just God's grace. Yeah. In James. Can, I, can I just, oh, sorry, you had James there? No, I was just going to, but go ahead. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That one, you want to go for it? That was the verse, James 4, 6. So just that there's this grace, that's all. It's just, I think, you know, we get confused as Christians. We know we're called to good works. We know we're called to holiness. We're called called to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. But when all falls short and no one is perfect, and then you know that God opposes the the proud but gives grace to the humble, I want that grace (laughs) and and that that opportunity to humble ourselves. Well, that humility is so powerful. I mean, like... In some cases, I wonder if that is what God is trying to do in some of our lives, is humble us, make us a little less prideful in our own strength. Right, right. Um, I will say this, just a quick comment on just the wholeheartedness thing and personality types. Amy mentioned at the beginning, you know, it is, you know, there's, there's different expressions to varying degrees, like loud personality types, quiet personality types. I will say this, though. Have you ever met an introvert who's into Dungeons and Dragons? Have you ever met an introvert who is super, who's super obsessed with something? I'm going to say this. Almost every one of us has that thing. <laughs> like, and you talk to that person about that thing, and they absolutely light up. And they change before your eyes, and they become this person who's got to tell you, I've got to tell you about software engineering and they, or whatever it is, like, you know, some of us are nerdy and that's a beautiful thing. But like every, like if you, you seem like a quiet person at a football game, become a totally different kind of person. Have you ever watched that happen? You watch complete introverts. Like I know you can't hold a conversation to save your life, but you become this totally different person and they just, you know, they're loud and exuberant. When you're obsessed with something, Something happens. You change. And I think it's, it's, there's a degree to which it's a personality thing, and there's a, there's a point of departure where, you know, maybe it's just you haven't gotten obsessed yet. Maybe you just haven't found that thing yet. And maybe, that, maybe just maybe that thing could possibly be the one who created you. So anyway, um, that's all I'll say on the personality thing. It does look a little different. I mean, the way that Amy worships is hard to copy. And the way that I worship is sometimes a little hard to copy because we are our own person. But um, anyway, that's, that's that. I guess and we're, we're going to go in a, in a minute just into a, um, an opportunity to respond. It seems only right and proper to have that moment before the Lord and to offer prayer for one another. Um, 
But just, just I hope you hear that it is possible no matter where you're at in your faith journey, you can choose this challenging path of wholeheartedness. And it, it's a regular signing up again. It's okay to ask the hard questions. And did Jesus really say that? Is the Bible like an accurate text? I mean, that's what we do in Alpha. Like the, it's, it's important to have a space um, Alpha is a small a community group that we offer at Hilltop that uses a curriculum. But it's okay to talk about those things, and it's okay to question those things. That's not being wholehearted. We're not talking about blind obedience. But when you've been struck, going back to our original points, when you know that the worthiness of God, when you know that Jesus commanded to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, like when and when you know that's who God is. Like there's a place where we commit to that process. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, when you're, you're training for a marathon, I've never done that, but um, when you commit to it, there's, there are some downer moments where you're like, oh no, mile 10's way harder than I thought it would be. Like maybe you're doing a 10 mile run and you're like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do the whole marathon. But you committed to it. And you said, I'm getting to that 26.2 mile mark and there's gonna be moments of doubt. There's gonna be moments of discouragement where you're gonna have to have your running buddies be like, nah, you can do it. But at the end of the day, you've committed to, I am running this full race. I'm going to get there. I'm going I'm to be active, not passive. I'm going to surround myself by good influences, other believers and people who may have questions, but also want to go against the cultural norm and to succeed and to get there. So I just hope you hear, no matter where you're at, you can be wholehearted for faith for Jesus today. Um, and just... In closing, um, a lot of you guys know this verse. It's a good one. Proverbs 4, 23. I have the NIV and the NLT because I think those two translations give a couple good descriptors. The NIV of Proverbs 4 says, above all else, it's pretty high order, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And then the NLT Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So here's, here's the, the table that we're setting, so to speak, the offer that we have. I hope beyond our imperfections of communication and whatever that um, you, you are able to get. I know God's big enough to work beyond our communication ability to speak to you wherever you're at. But even if you're stuck right now, if you feel stuck Like that sounds too lofty. That doesn't mean you have to stay stuck. Your heart doesn't have to stay dispassionate. The past year, two years do not have to define your life. The past 22 years don't have to define your life. You can tell God right now, I don't want to stay this way. I want to become passionate. I want to become wholehearted. I want to get around you and get on fire for you. So we're going to... Um, figure this out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we may need a couple hands. Are you to gonna help go on the this. piano? I'm gonna go on the piano. And Daryl might have something he wants to say as well. Um, so do you ministry want... time? Yeah, yeah. Ministry time. So core team, we're gonna be like moving me out of the way at some point. That's a project. Um, but if core team wants to come forward um, and offer some prayer, Will's gonna get on the piano. But. Um, we always want to pray for you no matter what, but I highly encourage you guys, come up for prayer on this topic. This is so important. Um, you know, let's, let's have this as an opportunity for those who really want that breakthrough in wholeheartedness. And, um, 
you know, um, we'll definitely pray for you for something else as well. But we really, thank you so much. We're really wanting to pray on this topic. Um, But yeah, we got some people to pray here and we'll take a few minutes. If you don't want prayer, I really encourage you, if you're not coming up, be in your seat and have that moment to get real with God. That moment of search me and know me. Where am I at, God? Where do I please you? Where do I displease you? Because I value my pride. I value my reputation. I value my comfort above what else? Where are my loyalties split? Where do I love you? And yet I really love my sin. I love, I love the world. I love how sin makes me feel. God, I ask that you would give a grace beyond grace. I ask that there would be such a grace for people today to leave here with a singular wholeheartedness, where it has felt impossible, where sin patterns pull back that are so beloved, even above the name of Jesus. I ask God that people would leave from here with the burdens off because they are free to pursue you with a wholeheartedness. God, I ask that you would deal with the disdain and the criticism of people watching others pursue wholeheartedly. God, I ask that we would be honest. We'd be honest that there's disdain in our heart. There's, we would be honest that there's criticism in our heart. That we would be honest about unrepented sin. God, I thank you that you are loving. You are not, it, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, I thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. And God, I ask that there would be a great fear of the Lord in this place, equally accompanied by a great revelation of the overwhelming love of God for each and every person here. God, we ask that chains would be broken in Jesus' name and that we would see at Hilltop Church a wholehearted congregation, that when new people come from off the streets, that they would see wholehearted worship, that they would see people in process, that they would see people who have sin and yet they repent and say, I was ruined for a vision that is greater than my own life. God, I ask that Cambridge would experience great salvation for a hilltop has chosen wholeheartedness. God, I ask that today, March 6th, would be a day where we write in our journals and say, God, I am committed to the process, even in my weakness and in my brokenness. Transform each of our hearts. The altar is open, friends. Come on up. I just want to invite you guys to